Hey, Trademark, few points of business before we jump into this week's message. First, and I'm excited for this, this Sunday is our relaunch Sunday. So we are meeting together again in person, in the same building, uh, seeing each other face to face. We are meeting at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. So I hope that you can be at one of those services with us. Uh, make sure you go to mcthechurch.com and check all our guidelines for how those services are going to look, what you should be prepared for, what you should and should not do and bring and, and say and all that different stuff. Make sure you read those guidelines so you are prepared. We want to see you again in person. So would you grab me, grab Pastor Gabe, grab our youth leaders and let us know you're here. Say hi to us. We miss seeing you. So make sure you do that. Also, make sure you go to mcthechurch.com and sign up for summer camp. We aren't going to Big Bear, but we are having an incredible experience experience here uh, down the hill with camp at home. We're, we're looking at different things to try to keep that as engaging as possible, but I can guarantee you camp is going to be an awesome experience. You will not want to miss it, and this is the cheapest it has ever been and probably will ever be for only $30. You can attend camp. You'll get your shirt. You'll get all the camp goodies that, that we're putting out, so make sure you sign up for camp. Make sure you're here Relaunch Sunday. Let's jump into this week's message. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 20, and we're going to read Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, or, or what he calls the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, this message has been heavy on my heart for the last few days and the, the last few weeks. We've seen a lot of unrest. We've seen a lot of crazy things going on in our country. Uh, a, a lot of things kind of brought to the surface that were maybe in the back. Uh, other things somewhat springing new. And, and so I would ask you to forgive me if I do more reading from my notes than talking extemporaneously. There's a lot of thoughts that I want to make sure I get, and I want to make sure I say these things carefully. I, 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 I want to speak to this situation. It, it fits so well in this series, and, and so I, 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 I want to do this carefully. And so I would ask for your grace. I would ask for your, your dialogue as we examine the issues of biblical justice and what that looks like. Feel free, if you have questions after this message, message us on Instagram. You can DM us. You can send us emails. You can call, text us if you have questions. We want to talk with you about what the biblical vision of justice is, what, what a biblical vision of race relations looks like, all that different stuff. We want to talk about that in dialogue with you. So feel free to reach out. Uh, let's read from Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Before we read the words of Scripture, I want to give you a little bit of a background. These are the words of a Middle Eastern man who is oppressed, 
hurting community. So when we read these words, we are not reading these as white American Christians, but we need to step out of our immediate context, and we need to step into the context of Scripture in order to understand what Jesus is teaching his disciples and what Jesus is teaching his people. He is not a, a, a white American, but he is a Middle Easterner living in the middle of an oppressive society, an oppressive regime. Rome has pushed down hard on God's people, and people are hurting, people are angry, people are upset. And so Jesus, in this sermon, in this message, is dialoguing with political and religious leaders of his day. He is advocating for a different way. Some leaders advocate for this violent overthrow, a revolution, pushing against the, the bounds of Rome and, and pushing into a new Jewish state, into total freedom. There are others who are advocating for a peaceful approach, for laying down and surrendering and, and assimilating into the Roman culture, losing their identity and becoming part of this bigger nation. And, and Jesus gives a third way. He, he presents a critique of both sides and gives us a middle route. He, he advocates for justice. The message of Jesus is a message of justice. I'll say that again. The message of Jesus is a message of justice. Th this is an overarching theme of Luke's gospel. Jesus came for the outcasts. He came for people on the fringes of society. He, he, he over and again lifts up the poor, lifts up the broken, lifts up the hurting, and he spurns the rich and the powerful. He heaps on them condemnation and curses. Jesus is a first century social justice warrior. Let's read Luke chapter 6 verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the beginning of Jesus' words to his community, to his people, living under oppression. Jesus lifts the poor. Jesus lifts the brokenhearted. Jesus lifts the hungry, the outcasts. And he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. God came for you. God came for broken, hurting people. If you remember our series that we just did on the Sermon on the Mount a, a few months ago, Jesus came for the, for the least of society. And he pronounces to the rich, to the powerful, to the famous, the influential, he pronounces woe, judgment, a curse. Watch out. Judgment is coming. In Jesus' first public sermon in Luke chapter 4, this is how he presents his whole ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And although he only quotes a few lines from the prophet Isaiah here, original listeners would have been keyed into the entire text. And Jesus is no doubt referencing all of Isaiah chapter 61. And so original audiences would have jumped straight to verse 7, where it says, Instead of shame, there should be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion, for they shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Jesus reads these verses, and in a mic drop moment says, This is me. I am the one who will do this. I am the one who will fulfill this promise that was made. Generations ago to your fathers have been looking forward to the day of justice. You've been looking forward to the day where the Lord will appear and he'll bring his kingdom to the world. And I am here today bringing that kingdom. Jesus announces a message of justice. The message of Jesus is the message of justice. In both Jesus' first sermon and his greatest sermon, he emphasizes the message of justice. You cannot call yourself a Christian and not believe in justice. You cannot associate yourself with Jesus without simultaneously associating yourself with the cause of justice. A Christian is a social justice warrior. Now, now before you send me a lot of angry emails and texts, let me unpack that. Hold your horses. We'll, we'll get to what that means. But, but what I want you to grasp right now is Jesus is all about justice. Jesus is all about the poor. Jesus is all about the marginalized. Jesus is all about the oppressed. He, he comes for them, and he pushes away systems of oppression. He pushes away oppressors, and he tells them, judgment is coming on you. I'm here for them. He eats with sinners and tax collectors. He eats with the lowest of the low. People regularly, the, the poor and the outcasts, regularly will interrupt his dinners, and he will make time for them. He's a scandal in his day and age. He's a scandal to his culture. If you claim to belong to the kingdom of Christ and do not work to enact justice in every sphere of your life, you are among those to whom Christ will say, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You can read more in Matthew chapter 25. I don't even have enough time to touch that text. But, but if you want to know how serious Jesus is about social justice, read that text and let that bear its weight on you, we would do well to apply this message. Despite the events of the past few weeks, I've been encouraged. I, I, I've seen the response to the latest rounds of police brutality, as well as the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Mount Arbery, and, and countless others who have lost their lives unjustly. And, and I have been encouraged by the response. There are now more voices than ever calling for justice. More and more people are becoming aware of systems of injustice that have existed as a backdrop to a country built on slave labor and stolen land. And we are beginning to recognize our history. We're beginning to recognize our past. 
We're, we're beginning to come to terms with the fact that, that, that our nation does, does not have a perfect past and a perfect history. We are, we are aware of that. We're, we're beginning to work through that as a, as a culture, as a people. We're dialoguing with each other, and, and we're conversing about what does it look like to live in a country today tainted by the sins of our past, but moving forward in, 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 into the light. Christians are beginning to speak up en masse. People who previously would have kept quiet or taken a back seat into conversations are, are now speaking up, exerting whatever privileges they have to fight for vulnerable and marginalized people. You know, I've seen your Instagram stories. I've seen your tweets. I've seen you, Trademark, engaging in the world. And, and, and I'm filled with hope. I'm filled with hope for a generation of people who are rising up and saying, enough is enough. We're tired of injustice. We're tired of brutality. We're tired of all the systems of oppression that exist in our society, and we want to work to change them. That is good. That is commendable. That is honorable. That is right. And I'm proud of you, Trademark. I'm, I'm proud of what I've seen. I love to see you living out scripture and giving a voice to voiceless people. This is what it means to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. I, I love to see you embracing that message that, that we preach, kingdom through covenant. We preach this. We preach that, that, that God's kingdom is advancing in the world. And, and this is what it means to advance the cause of the kingdom in the world. And so I love that you're jumping on that. I, I love that you're engaging in that. But just as, I'm, just as much as I will commend your efforts and, and tell you I am proud of you as a leader for, for, what, for what you're doing, I'm proud of you for raising your voice. I, I want to also give you a warning. And, and I want to give you a, a cause for pause. As you continue to, to retweet and repost, I, I would like to give you something to consider as you continue to rightfully advocate for justice. I'm compelled to warn you that the Christian vision of justice does not match up with the cultural vision of justice. The justice that Jesus advocates does not match the justice that our culture is pushing for. Let me unpack that. There's perhaps no better picture of, of worldly justice in the current phenomenon of cancel culture. And here's just some observations that, that I and others have made about the current phenomenon of, of how our culture deals in justice. You are guilty for the sins of others, not only your own. Whatever your ancestors did and your great-great-grandfather did, whatever they owned, whatever, whatever they were a part of, not only are they guilty, but you are guilty for that as well. There is no means of atonement. There, there is no way to pay for those crimes, and all that can result is cycles of confession and repentance. We must continually confess to the crimes of our ancestors and repent for them. And, and there's no way to atone for their crimes. And so we just continue this cycle, generation after generation, year after year, conference after conference. This is who we are as a people, and this is, this is our only hope. There can be no forgiveness. Retribution must be swift and sure, and there's no hope of escaping punishment. You have no hope of escaping your sin. You have no hope of escaping your attitudes of racism and becoming a better person. Moving past it. You, you have no hope in, in how our culture would view justice. There is no hope for you to escape injustice. There is no hope for you to escape prejudice. There is no hope for you to change your heart. All you can do is accept your sinful state and attempt to live in it and make amends as best as you can. And this is not the Christian vision 
of justice. Cultural justice, the justice of cancel culture, results in vengeance. Vengeance is a cry for justice without the hope of forgiveness. Vengeance says that you are guilty and you must pay. You can never hope to atone for all of your sins, and so your life must be marked by just continuous apologizing. And if you break too many rules and go too far, we will destroy your life. You will be canceled. Your, your life as you know it is over. And, and I'm concerned that when our culture calls for justice, they're actually just calling for vengeance. They're calling for revenge. Burn down the target. Burn down the church. Loot from the greedy corporations because they were the first ones to, to steal from, from poor workers. And I've seen the arguments and, I, and I've seen the tweets and I understand the, the frustration and the anger that, that's behind these outbursts. And I don't mean to accuse all protesters of these actions. I don't mean to, to lump everyone into this category. But it seems as though our culture is by and large given a pass to this behavior. That we aren't so to look at it as a problem, but we are to look at the underlying problem. There's things that are causing this, this thirst for blood, this thirst for vengeance. People are expressing pent-up frustration at unjust systems, and I get it. Many have rightly condemned these actions as an inappropriate representation of, of what social justice is, of what Black Lives Matter means, of what all these different things are. And yet... These actions make sense in a culture controlled by a cultural cancel culture justice with a thirst for vengeance, a thirst for blood. They're no more than this culture taken to its logical extremes. Culture has given a pass. The key commodity of cultural justice is revenge. It always has to result in revenge. When there's no way to pay back sins, the only solution is to take vengeance on sinners. This is antithetical to the Christian worldview. The court of culture deals only in terms of vengeance. If you violate its standards, it will systematically destroy your life. You can look into the story of Amy Cooper from New York as, as evidence of, of what cancel culture is and how cancel culture acts in its world. After falsely reporting a black man to the police, she was canceled. She lost her job. She lost her reputation. She even lost her dog. Even the man she falsely accused has pushed back and, and, and has said he's accepted her apology. He doesn't think her life needs to be destroyed. Her actions were by no means justified. But the response serves as a perfect example of cult, cancel culture's vision of justice. It is a justice without hope of forgiveness. It's revenge. I said earlier that Christians are called to be social justice warriors. But we do not fight for this kind of justice. We do not fight for the justice of cancel culture. We do not fight for the justice of vengeance. In the Christian mindset, revenge and justice don't coexist. They don't coincide. We do not take vengeance on our enemies. We don't destroy their lives, we don't destroy their livelihoods, their property, or no matter how great the injustice. The Christian vision of justice is a justice marked by mercy, not vengeance. Biblical justice results in mercy. Cultural justice results in vengeance. Biblical justice results in mercy. Hear Jesus' words as he continues his Sermon on the Mount. R right after pronouncing condemnation, on 
the oppressors, on the rich, on the powerful of society, right after lifting up the broken and the hurting, right after espousing this vision of justice. This is how his argument continues. This is how his message continues. He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish the others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Trademark, I have one question. What if Jesus was serious? What if he meant it when he said these words? What if he meant it when he said, love your enemies and do good to the very people who hate you, to the people who oppress you? This is Jesus speaking to an oppressed people. This is Jesus speaking to the poor in the slums. And he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Give and give and give and don't expect anything back. What if Jesus was serious? That the way to respond to oppression, the way to respond to injustice is not with a knife, a club, or a torch, but with an attitude of humility and mercy. Give and it will be given to you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The measure you use is the measure that will be used against you. Imagine for a moment that your life was under scrutiny. That, that every tweet you'd ever sent, every, every text you'd ever been a part of every post you'd ever made was suddenly visible for the world to see. Your life on display. Every private joke and intimate moment made available. Would you want to be treated by cancel culture's standard of justice? As much as we speak for justice, we don't want justice for ourselves. We want justice for others and mercy for ourselves. When we're wronged, we want justice. We want them to pay. But when we're the ones doing the wrong, when we're the ones in the wrong, we, we cry for mercy. We need mercy. We want justice for others and mercy for ourselves. See, we're all sinners. We are all susceptible to the temptations and the momentary passions that sin affords us. Whether it is an unintentional remark, an old tweet, uh, getting swept away in a moment of passion and getting caught up in something you never meant to do, we are all capable of the same sin that we've seen displayed again and again from people in our culture who we have canceled and, and pushed back and taken vengeance on. Scripture is instructive. Be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. 
I'm not trying to excuse acts of oppression. I'm not trying to say injustice is okay. By no means. Jesus hates injustice. The Lord loves justice. The Lord advocates for justice. That's not my point. The, The point is Jesus just spent the first half of his sermon condemning the oppressors, praising the oppressed. He was equally serious about both parts. My point is this. We will all fall, and when we do, we want mercy. We need mercy. And if you think for a moment that you are better than the the very people in positions of oppression, you do not understand the depth of your sin. You do not understand the wickedness of your heart. You do not understand the depth of depravity. You are no better, and and you have no more potential for, for sin, or no less potential for sin, than the most heinous of sinners. All that restrains us is the grace of God. We need mercy more than we need vengeance and justice. The Christian vision of justice is a justice that results in mercy. And this is only possible through Christ. Mercy is uniquely Christian because only Christianity provides a substitute to take our penalty for sin. Only in Christianity do do we find that that the God of the universe sends his son to, to bear our weight. The underlying assumption of cancel culture is that I must pay for all of my sins and until I do, every part of my life will be summarily destroyed. The underlying assumption of Christianity is that I can't pay for my sins. I could never and will never be able to pay for my sin. I need someone else to pay for my sin. And the eternal hope of Christianity is that someone has paid for my sins. The sum total of my guilt is borne on the cross of Christ. And all my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven fully, freely, and forever. Christian, this is your hope. This is your only hope in life and death. This is all that you have to stand on. You cannot stand on your justice record. You cannot stand on your tweets or on your reposts. You can only stand on the cross of Christ, on his mercy given to you. In cancel culture, my sins are first and foremost against a person, and so that person gets to take vengeance on me for each and every one of them. In Christianity, my sin is first and foremost against God. And so God sent his son to bear the full penalty for the sum total of my sin. I can't stand in the face of justice. My only hope is mercy. This series playlist, we are taking songs and using them to help show an element of gospel truth. And I spent a long time trying to find the right song for this message. I I knew what I wanted to talk about before. I knew the song that I wanted to use. And and so I looked at some different stuff, texted a few of you, and you've done some research for me and and tried to help me out. And the song that I've I've settled on, I, I wanted to use something catchy, something current, something kind of relevant and, and hip, but, but instead the, the Lord kept drawing my heart to this song. It's the song Mercy by Amanda Cook, and I would encourage you to listen to this song. I, I know not every song in this series is one that we can encourage you to, to listen to necessarily, but this is a song I can't encourage you. Take, take a moment, listen to this song. The, the lyrics are simple. My past embraced. My sin forgiven. I'm blameless in your sight. My history rewritten. You delight in showing mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. 
These lyrics form a repetitive meditation on the character of God. When God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, he announces himself to Moses by giving him his covenantal name, Yahweh. He defines the character that name represents in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is a God of mercy. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He abounds in love and faithfulness that remains despite his people abandoning him. This is the character that we are to represent to our world. This is the image that we were created in. This is the the character that we strive for. And my hope is that this song will become its own playlist in your heart and mind. The God you serve is a God of mercy, not one of vengeance. Meditate on this truth. But consider also the bridge. So I will wait and spend my days loving the one who has raised me up from death to life, from wrong to right. You're making all things beautiful. You delight in showing mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. So what we need to understand is that mercy does not mean that the oppressors get away with it. Mercy does not mean that justice never happens. Mercy is the fulfillment of justice. There is a day coming when God will right every wrong. He will make all things beautiful, just like this song says. He will end injustice. Look at the second half of that verse in Exodus 34, 6. I I stopped a little early because the full character of God is revealed more fully in verse 7. The Lord passed before him. You proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 7, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But, hear this, if you're angered at systems of injustice, if you're angered at oppressors, if you're angered by things going on in our culture, hear this, the character of God who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Christianity is is marked by a lack of personal vengeance because we trust the justice of God. We trust the vengeance of God. Romans 12, 19-21 says it this way, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Christian mercy means I release the right to give judgment. I I release my right for justice, and I turn that right over to God. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He will repay my injustice, either on the cross of Christ or in the fires of hell for all eternity. But injustice will be paid for. No one goes free in the kingdom of God. Someone pays for sin. There is no sin that God will leave unpunished. There is no injustice that God will leave undealt with. There is no wrong that God will not right. There is no brokenness that God will not make whole. I am not righteous enough to enact true justice on my own. My my vision is limited by my my day and age. My vision is limited by my culture. My vision is limited by my life experiences. And, And so if I try to enact justice, I will fail over and again because God is the only righteous judge. 
And so I'm going to give judgment over to him. I'm not going to judge because I don't want to be judged by my standard. If I judge someone else by, by my standard, I'm going to have to be judged by the same standard. And I can't measure up to my own standards. I can't measure up to the perfection that I demand from others. With, with the measure you use, it will be measured out to you. So by all means, pursue your own vision of justice, but don't be surprised when it comes knocking and calling for you. And if that's not cancel culture, I don't know what is. As we close, Micah 6 8 is instructive for how to live in our day and age. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Christians delight in doing justice. This is is what God requires of us. Do justice. We fight to amend wrongs. We let justice roll down like waters. We enact it in our laws and rally for it in our streets. But our love is not for justice. We do justice and we do it humbly knowing that we too are broken sinners. But we love mercy. Our love is for mercy And this is what distinguishes Christian justice from cultural justice. We do not delight in passing judgment on others. Our delight is in showing mercy, even to our most bitter enemies. If we cry out only for justice, we will never see an end to cycles of sin and oppression. One group will cry out for justice from the next, and each faction of society will enact their vengeance on one another. In the middle of injustice, Mercy is the only way forward. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of scripture. Thank you that that you are a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a a God who lifts up the broken and and, and binds the hurting, who frees the prisoners and, and brings near the outcasts. But Lord, I thank you that you are also a God of justice and vengeance. You will have vengeance on your enemies. You will enact true justice. Lord, I pray that in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, that as, as we speak up for justice, we fight for justice, that we would fight for your vision of justice. Lord, I pray we would fight for a justice marked by mercy and not a justice marked by vengeance. Lord, I, I, I pray that, that, that we and that your students would, would begin to see through the, the different facets of society that, that they, they would think through what true justice is, what biblical justice looks like. The, the, the Christian vision of justice would shape their hearts and minds, that they would be a people shaped by mercy. Lord, I, I, I pray for our world in this time of injustice and pain. Lord, I pray that truth would shine out in, in every conversation. I, I pray that justice would be done to the oppressed. Lord, I pray that justice would be done for George Floyd. I pray that justice would be done for Breonna Taylor. I pray that justice would be done for Ahmaud Arbery. I pray that justice would be done for the countless names of young men and women killed too soon. I I pray that justice would be done for those oppressed. But Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be my vision of justice, but that it would be yours. Oh God, have mercy on our souls. In your name we pray. Amen.